Thanks for tuning in to the Palm Beach Podcast, a weekly show highlighting people making a positive impact in our community. With your hosts, sports chiropractor and athletic trainer, Dr. James Spencer, photographer and art director, Mike Jones. Our show is brought to you by Pump House Coffee Roasters, The Lotus Travel Company, Opportunities Self-Serve Beer Hall, and The Bishop's Water Company. Hello, and welcome to the Palm Beach Podcast. My name is Mike Jones, and I'm having an electrifying day here at Media Zone with some great dudes. Dr. Dan Spencer, how are you, buddy? Pleasure to see you. And fortunately, you know, our three to five o'clock uh, typical rainstorm is holding off today. So it's beautiful out there. Sunny blue skies. Yeah. And we got a special guest in the studio, a uh, good friend, mentor, uh, Jeff Bahari. And he is historian, inventor, and the man who runs the Electrotherapy Museum. Welcome to the show, man. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah. So, um, I'll give a little bit of background information of how we met and uh, my experience at the museum, and we'll let you take it from there. Sounds good. So uh, I was searching a lot of uh, Tesla technology and um, came across Jeff's name, and I was actually looking at one of these units right here, which I'm sure he'll explain later, and that's how I got introduced across or, or shared your information. And then uh, I contacted Jeff and he said, well, you need to come by the museum. Mm-hmm. Which and is conveniently like three minutes away. Yeah, just conveniently right up the road here in West Palm. And uh, I brought my wife and uh, and business coach Rick and uh, we had a hell of an experience. <laughs> so uh, thank you for that. And uh, I'm sure the listeners and viewers will see some of the uh, electrifying stuff. Shocking. <laughs> I, I'm, glad, I'm glad you came by that day. Yeah, it was cool. It was yeah, really it was- fun experience. And it's uh, it's always good when people come by that kind of are intrigued already by the topic. So, yeah. So why don't you tell the listeners a little bit uh, how you got started with this and uh, how the museum came to fruition? It it was such a random thing, and it was um, in the early '90s. I was uh, collecting coffee memorabilia of all things. I, I was going to open a coffee shop, and I would go to antique shops locally, and and look around every once in a while there'd be some weird looking machine and I, oh, that, that looks a lot cooler than a coffee grinder or an espresso <laughs> machine you know and truly and i you know it finally at one point oh, i'm gonna get one let's let's see what it does and i bought one brought it home plugged it in had no idea what the thing was gonna do and the tv i plugged it in Nothing much happened, but the TV started going across the room. <laughs> and I said, oh, I better unplug the TV before I mess something up. And I went over, and the TV was already unplugged. And so I'm looking like, how the hell is this happening? Like, you know, this is causing some something to happen electrically within the television set. And had no idea what I was messing with. and But I was intrigued. And so I uh, knew there was a guy, an engineer, lived down the street. He was in his 80s. And I said, hey, Quinn, uh, you know, come here. There's something you got to see. Like, I want to know what this thing is. And oddly enough, he he was from uh, out west somewhere, um, Kansas, I think, somewhere like that. Mm -hmm. And when he went to university, there was one of the same machines 
and it was marked. Nobody was allowed to touch it, plug it in, or do anything with it. <laughs> and so this was, he's like, I can't believe you have it plugged in. <laughs> and so he saw for the first time what this thing was. And it was a, it was a shortwave diathermy machine, which was used in physical therapy by chiropractors. And it was used to heat the body from the inside out basically for rehabilitation but not knowing what it was yeah it, it made the tv make funny noises if you walked up next to it with a light bulb the light bulb would start glowing just in your hand and so i'm i don't i kind of knew at that time there was a sky tesla but he wasn't really as well known as today sure and I, so i started stepping back and i thought all right this is a lot more interesting than coffee <laughs> so <laughs> let's let's see what happens from there that's fascinating and uh and clearly, it's way more exciting than coffee. Well, coffee's good, but it's not that good. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think it's one of those situations, too, where, like, your inner intuition starts to be, like, you know, there's there has to be more to the whole story than what we're, what we can actually physically see or even sense, right? Like, how does something without a wire to something else light up? No, for sure. And it was, it was this kind of you know, time period, you know, at the time I was a teenager basically. And, and I was thinking like, not much direction in life. And you're like, and everyone asks when you're a kid, what do you want to do when you sure. grow up? Nobody knows that answer. I mean, come on. Even when you're in your twenties, you're still questioning what you're doing. Thirties, forties. I mean, it doesn't matter <laughs> any age. Thirties and it's twenty, right? <laughs> it, yeah. It's, it's the same thing. So at the time, uh, it kind of like struck a gear with me because I, next show I came up, I bought another machine. It was actually one of these machines. I saw sparks and a guy was like sparking something to his hand. I'm like, oh, I want one of those. I don't know what it is, what it does, but yeah. That's cool. <laughs> and I got one and then I started to look up the history because the internet was not that new, but newish. And, you know, you could find everything you wanted to know and then some. What'd you go to his MySpace? <laughs> yeah, <Exactly>. right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it was, uh, you know, and suddenly this stuff wasn't really there. And I thought, well, well, maybe that's a calling in life, documenting something. And I, and the kind of, the idea of of uh, like showing a side of history that wasn't didn't get a fair share mm -hmm. the first time around. And I didn't know at the time all the politics and the reasons behind it. I just thought, how in the world can something so cool exist and there not be anything written about it mm -hmm. anywhere? Mm -hmm. And so that's where it began. And it was just a hobby and it grew and grew and grew and in ways I never imagined. <laughs> and share some of your experiences uh, uh, growing up and learning more and more about this and then becoming a historian yourself and... Well, the funny thing, like I, I started finding these just weird machines and they were just labeled quack medical devices. And so you would think with some ties to the medical field, even bogus or not, there would be some kind of information out there. Sure. Like, okay, like these machines, they don't actually do anything or they don't work or they're this or that, but no, there was nothing. And so it, it was, it really intrigued me because around the same time I, uh, just on a completely different level, got involved with kind of underground politics. And at the time, my grandfather died, and I was studying Czech politics, and there were a lot of interesting things about uh, kind of information not being given to the public. 
and then uh, people who were spreading information, but in an underground way through something called Samizdat, which was like a way of like illegally distributing pamphlets and materials. And the more I was looking into this topic, the more machines I was buying every month, I was finding these things and, and buying them up. And I'm realizing, you know, there's like whole libraries of information that didn't exist. So I'm like, that's what I want to do. I want to, you know, I started Xeroxing things and, and putting them for sale and everyone was after them. And I'm like, well, this is interesting because mm -hmm. suddenly there's a lot of interest in this topic. And I still didn't quite know why it disappeared to begin with. And then slowly learned along the way that mm -hmm. it was... You know, there were a lot of inventors that came up with ideas for things that were more, most often than not, legitimate to start off. And then as people started marketing these machines in a way to sell more and more of them, they put a bunch of claims that should never have been associated with them. And so we all kind of heard of like the snake oil salesman and mm -hmm. quackery of the 20s, but it's never really been formally documented that well. So... What ended up happening in, in, over time is that in, in order to protect the public, let's say, from this kind of fraudulent technology, they confiscated the machines and they would go after all the little companies that would form and basically burn the stuff and get rid of it and say, well, if we pretend, you know, if, if we get rid of it all, then people are safe mm -hmm. rather than actually educating people. And so the, there, I, it, in the early days, I found one guy, Bob McCoy, he had a museum in Minneapolis called the Museum of Questionable Medical Devices, where he got he got a lot of cool machines from the FDA. Like they had a, a like a warehouse of things that they had confiscated that they didn't quite get rid of. And so he put it all on display. It was really interesting. But I'm looking at it all and I'm kind of arguing with the guy. I'm like, well, Bob, you know, it, yeah, some of this stuff is complete nonsense, but there's other things that were like surgical machines. You can't deny that. I mean, that that's there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And he's like, well, yeah, ah, it's quackery, you know. And it, so we we were on. Sorry, is that an acronym or is that just like a slang? What is quack? Quack, quack. It's like uh, uh like a like uh, the bogus form. Yeah, of medicine. bogus doctor. Like so it's like not a, like Q is questionable. U is like there's uh, not like it's, a, no, it's not no acronym. No, no. But like, it, okay, it, okay. It, it was a term used like to refer to. Um, like a hack, like a irregular yeah, yeah. practitioners you is could, one of the words you they can use, say. Chiropractors, and, and actually, chiropractors <laughs> got they got a bad rap for oh, a yeah. long time, and uh, and it's a it's a perfect example of a field that's completely legitimate that was brought down because it, they didn't quite follow the same path as everyone else. Correct, and so. Uh, the quackery you mean field, holistic and like actually helping people and not uh, well, <laughs> prescribing them things. Uh, no, exactly, exactly. And so, th as things progressed, actually, you know, a lot of machines got banned, sometimes for good reasons, but uh, in the '30s, especially, there were um, basically, you know, you, you you'd have to suddenly apply to get your products accepted and then the more you look in the history all of a sudden that you know paying certain amounts of money helped these products get through a lot quicker of course. so it's you know a complete conflict of interest as far as well if i went to go get like an adjustment and 
Spence brought this thing out. <laughs> I have my question as well. I'm like, it looks cool, but well, am I making it out of this one? Well, and it's it's um it's an understanding of the benefits of them versus uh, marketing ploys. No, exactly, exactly. And right. there, are so many of the machines, and even even the machines that had like practically no medical value had a lot of scientific value at the time because there was there was so much technological advancements happening mm-hmm. you know right after industrial revolution and the, the amazing thing about that time period if you think about it um 1800s people are going to sleep when the sun goes down because nobody wants to spend money on candles suddenly there's electric lights there were it was a slow development but they they came along and not long after uh Rentgen discovered the x-ray mm-hmm and people were just getting used to getting their pictures taken without thinking it's stealing their soul and this this sort of nonsense. Uh, suddenly, you could see the invisible. And there there were people building x-ray machines at their homes because they were so fascinated with that concept and the fact that you could put your hand in a, a stack of, of 10 books and see the skeleton of your hand through all of those books on a piece of fluorescent cardboard or cardboard painted with fluorescent paint, you know? And so it, suddenly people were open up like, wow, like this is, we live in a cool time period right mm-hmm. now. And they were developing wireless telegraphy. They were sending messages to each other. You know, telephones were relatively new at that time period. But then they were able to send wireless telegraphs, which was kind of like an 1800s version of a text message. Uh, Morse <laughs> like code. Airdrop. Like, when someone's like, hey, can I airdrop that to you? And I'm like, what's actually happening right now? <laughs> like, How is this coming from your electric device to my electric device? It's true. No it wires. Is. Yeah. It is. And, you know, it, the sky was the limit then. I mean, so many cool things from a time period where it was basically, I mean, if we look, start looking at the mid 1800s there's not much different from mid 17 1600s i mean there's not that many advancements mm-hmm. i mean the printing press isn't one of them <laughs> i mean for most people couldn't afford books anyway so it was to uh, see the proliferation so cr- like yeah so many things happen so quickly and mm-hmm. for me it was an eye opener getting a an electrical dictionary from the 1890s and the you know it was like two inch thick book i got at a lake worth flea market and I'm looking through it, and then I get one from a few years later from the same publishing company, and everything's completely different in it. And you realize there was so much happening at that time period that not all of it caught on. And so it, it, it made it amazing. I mean, how much was happening at once, and how much innovation was occurring, and how many people were just blown away by everything that they were surrounded by and they're like all i need to do is focus on one tiny little aspect mm-hmm. of any of this and i'm set well you know that being said when i was going through chiropractic school it was kind of the transition of, of typical x-rays with the development room and everything else to digital at that time mm-hmm. and so when i was going through school we actually had a development room and you would learn how to um exposure how long make sure no lights let in, in into the dark room. And that aspect to digital, it was amazing at how you could just fine tune and highlight certain things on a digital mm-hmm. that you couldn't get with a hard copy x-ray. No, and that, it's, the, the, it's amazing there, the advancement. And I heard, and I, I, 
I do believe it's true. I think it's some a kid developed the whole digital technology like in their garage. And I, 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 I believe don't it. I believe it was like the son of someone who worked in the industry, something like sure. that. But yeah, the the incredible amount of uh one, the the savings of radiation Correct. exposure to patients. And that's the main thing. Correct. I mean, when you look at the X ray history, you know, uh how easy is it to to mess up a photograph like darkroom techniques Correct. where yeah okay we got to do another one okay you're sitting there again now step back in time where they were using fluoroscopes where they decide well you know this darkroom stuff's a, a pain in the neck like let's just look at a live image of x-rays and so many physicians thousands of physicians died because they got lazy and didn't want to develop <laughs> full-blown radiation. <laughs> full-blown, yeah, yeah. It's and like when it's, you go to the dentist and they're like, we're putting this lead vest on you, by the way. <laughs> yeah, and it and the crazy thing about x-rays, they knew the dangers the first year of the discovery. And they were so enamored by the Technique, actual, technology. yeah, the process, the, the idea of what they were doing. And you don't feel x-rays. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, it's something they casually ignored and even some of the pioneers in the industry they were they were developing cancers they were getting uh, keratosis on their hands and even to the point where they were having fingers amputated and they were walking around with their hands in their pockets because they didn't want to give the industry a bad name or to make people afraid of them wow and they it was it was crazy because i mean some of the main authors of x-rays died of x-ray poisoning shortly after their books were published because they knew what was happening to them. They knew it wasn't going to end well, and they kept going. Wow. Almost like an addiction. It was, It really was. It really was. So tell the listeners a little bit about uh, the Kinraid family and, ah, and that's, Kinraid. So er, early on, and one of the things that inspired me to have a museum was uh, I picked up a book called High Frequency Currents. And it was written by an author that actually developed the glass electrodes in, in one of these machines. And it was, it dated back to, and it's funny, like things in time that just happen that people just do. And suddenly it's, uh, something comes of it. Sure. And so there was a, uh, by now a lot of people know about the battle of currents with Edison and Tesla. And they were at each other's throats, AC versus DC. And when that calmed down a little, they were still battling it out over a new type of light, like light bulb. And Edison was basically um, trying to develop an X-ray tube that would make light as a, as a new uh, innovative way of lighting. And so his assistant was testing all of these phosphorescent minerals and he found calcium tungstate was the brightest and he was actually the first martyr to the x-ray so it's why they knew of the dangers early on this man died shortly after 1900s from overexposure to x-rays and uh but him and uh, edison and tesla were rivaling over development of lamp one of them i brought today that a tesla lamp it was a high vacuum and uh, Edison, to get one over, all of a sudden he published the, okay, I've cured a patient of blindness using x-rays. So the, the problem, 1896, the, the x-ray apparatus were kind of feeble. I mean, they were just kind of learning high vacuums and electric sparks, this sort of thing. 
And the early x-ray apparatus, like for the most part, people were just looking at the bones of their hand because it's a kind of thinner, softer tissues, easier to see, make, make a radiograph of. And so Strong learned that there was a man, Kinraid, that was able to make an entire x-ray of the whole human body at once. And so he had developed a machine that was apparently way better than everything else. And in his, he wrote a book about this experience and he, he mentioned like off, off to the side, like, Hey, yeah, I, uh, this is kind of what inspired me to get involved with x-rays. And for a, a doctor writing a medical book, it was kind of strange reading like a personal experience because most of the time they were, they weren't that personal reading sure. a medical book. And he also mentioned quite a bit like the early people developing the technologies and it kind of inspired me early on like that that's cool museum material because he's and it's it's kind of weird because this is a technology that's not even 10 years old and the guy's like trying to outline give everyone credit where it where it belongs exactly and so um in mid 90s i remember reading that and thinking I wonder who this guy kinrate is that sounds interesting and i searched and searched and at most, 10 years later, I found a few sentences written about the guy. But I did find a picture of one of his machines with a, like a brief description, and I built a replica of it. And the replica worked. Casual. Ca <laughs> ca casually. I, uh, I, I decided, and the replica worked. <laughs> I decided to, to you know, build an x-ray machine based on what this guy was doing. And sure enough, I saw I made X-rays. I was I saw the bones of my hand, my arm. You know, it worked the same as as what his did. And ironically, I got a phone call from Jamaica Plain, Massachusetts, where the guy was from. Who I, there was an anesthesiologist at a cemetery that was um, researching uh, a pioneer in anesthesiology named uh, William Morton. And it was a guy who gets credit for the discovery of ether. Okay. And it's a convoluted story, but <laughs> his son. Uh, Sounds like an easy one to explain. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, he kind of, <laughs> he might have gotten some hints as to how, sure. how to use that beforehand. But his son uh, got credit and he was standing at the grave. His son's grave was there. It said discovered high frequency currents. And he's like, wait, that's Tesla. It's not Morton. And so the guy called me randomly out of out of the blue the day after I built this X-ray machine. And I, you know, I'm talking to him and I'm like, you know, where where are you? And he's like, I'm Forest Hill Cemetery. And I knew that Kinraid was buried there. And just the coincidence was too much. And I'm like, what's the chances of that? And so the day after you're correct. The yeah, day okay, after yeah. I built something. So I I, I told my wife at the time, I, you know, I want to go up to Boston and see what's there. I mean, this is kind of a kind of a clue. And she's like, ah, you're crazy. Don't, don't even think about it, you know. And so, but, you know, I'm, I'm still thinking about it all the time. And maybe six months later, I decided to build another one of his inventions at the time. And the day after, I was like waiting. Okay, am I going to get another call? <laughs> some, something going to happen there? And uh I ended up having a dream about uh, a Junebug Cafe. And at the time, yeah, I was interested in coffee. And there were two kids in a dream that said, if you like coffee, you got to go to the Junebug. And I just remember waking up at like two in the morning and 
going to the computer, doing a search for Junebunk Cafe, and there's one showed up in Jamaica Plain, Massachusetts. Again, where this man Kinraid was from. That's fascinating. And so I'm like, all right, I'm going to Boston. I don't care what you say. <laughs> and, You're crazy. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I I booked a, a ticket to Boston for, you know, around 30 days later because it get the best rate. And I kept thinking about that. And I, I was looking into more of his inventions and patents. That's all right. I'll build one more thing. And the day after I built that, uh, I got an, an eBay kind of a, a search result email, like, like a, like a keywords that come up and it was one of his patents. Kinraid showed up the next day and there was a patent for sale in England and I bought the patent immediately. There was a, it was a buy it now. And I didn't think I'd get it in time because it was only a few weeks before I was going Supposed to Boston to go, yeah. and it came in the mail and it was an, a patent he found in England. And when I got the patent like on, on American patents, uh, you know, typically call out the county you're from, at least in those days. In this English patent, filing as an American, uh, he started off, um, I, Thomas Burton Kinraid of 38 Spring Park Avenue in Jamaica Plain, Massachusetts. And I'm like, well, I have his address. <laughs> and I Googled it, and it was there was a, a man, uh, Steve Williams of Eclipse Realty, and I called it up and I'm like, sorry, like this is a strange call, but you know, I'm, I'm a historian in South Florida and I'm curious about a man Kinraid and, and I, I found his address and he immediately, Oh, can, can kin I go in his attic? <laughs> yeah. He's like, Kinraid, <laughs> Kinraid built my house. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Kinraid's a kind of a legend in town, but nobody knows exactly what he did, but he built, he built my house here. And I'm like, sorry to ask this, but can I, can I come see it? Because I, you know, I booked the ticket already to Boston. Just it's a good question. It. By the way, I'm like and, on the corner of here and here yeah, at the June yeah. Cafe. And like, what are you doing right now? And it's, it's how, it's how it happened. And the guy's like, well, yeah, sure. Like, like come here. And, and so it was about a week out and I fly there and I call him up. And he's like, Jeff, I'm so sorry. Like my daughter had an emergency. I went out of town, but, um, you know, I'm a realtor. I have a handyman who's going to let you into my house. Perfect. And I thought, well, yeah, better. that's cool. And so I, I, I go to this place expecting like a house. No, it's a 25 room mansion. I mean, wow. it, it was like going to a castle. And I enter this huge house, and like inside, it was amazing. The walls were solid, like oak and mahogany. Like it, it was like nothing you see today. And the guy had asked, you know, is there something you want to see? And he was so baffled as to why I would travel sure. from Florida to see this house. <laughs> I'm like, well, I want to see the basement. And we walked down to the basement and there was what looked like a closet door in the back of the basement. I'm like, I want to go inside there. And there was a bunch of stuff in front of the door, like a bicycle and boxes. And like, it was a basement. Sure. You know, they were just squirreling stuff away. And he's like, all right, well, you got to move all the crap out of the way if you're going to go in there. And he says, there's nothing there. It's just the closet. And I moved everything and I opened inside and I walked into what seemed like a, just a storage area, like under the front yard kind of, kind of situation. But as I walked around, I looked to the left, looked to the right. The wall actually continued. And as I walked to the right in this little tiny, what appeared to be like a something the size of somebody's bathroom, the wall actually circled around the entire yard. There were four rooms hidden from the rest of the house. Wow. 
And the things that I read about in Frederick Strong's book about him experiencing these x-rays, all the equipment was still there. And I called the owner and I'm like, you're on a gold mine here. I mean, it's there's so much history still in your house. And he's like, Jeff, take it all because I'd have probably thrown it away if I found it. And these were rooms in the house that didn't have electricity. There were, they were dark. They were, and I learned later that Kinraid actually blasted the rooms with dynamite. So they were, they had a cave-like feeling, like walking through these rooms. There were narrow hallways with like concrete walls that mm -hmm. were kind of out of shape. And so I found a bunch of this guy's stuff, and the owner gave it to me, and. Some of the things that were involved were photographs of electricity. Correct. And it's it's something that at the time I knew was pretty special, but I had no idea what that would turn into over the years. Well how special they were. Exactly. Look how it's uh become an art or a passion of yours. It has. Right. And I I there was a looking, studying close these photos of electricity, and they were on glass plate negatives, 8 by 10, 11 by 14. Um, there, were, there was what appeared to be positive electricity, negative electricity. And then there were times that there were forms of electricity that I kind of read about in Tesla's lectures, but never actually saw proof of. Mm -hmm. And then some of it was really weird, where the positive and negative looked like they were united where normally they cancel each other out. Sure. And so at the Did you find any dark matter down there? Oh, there there was I guarantee. <laughs> there was there was lots of strangeness down there for sure. <laughs> and there's still things there. I would I would love to get them, but unfortunately I found out the owner of the house passed away. So his wife and kids are still there, but it's not not, not a good time to reach out no, to try and that's... find more. It's a phone call away, though. It, it is, and they they know the work I I've been doing since. But at the time, it was uh, ironically I was approached by a film crew in Holland to to do a a commercial for Jägermeister, and we filmed this kind of mockumentary documentary about lightning, and I didn't know what was going to become of any of it. And there ended up being lightning experts from NASA in it that were at Florida Tech, FIT. And they seemed to be like the go-to people for sparks and electric formations and all this. And I thought, let me contact them out of the blue. Let's see. And I wrote to them. I'm like, yeah, I have these images of sparks from, you know, hundreds of them, literally, from the 1890s. Um, I... There are things I can't quite explain what's happening there, and I'm able to replicate it in the lab because I've, I've been working <laughs> on this guy's stuff, trying to, to uncover whatever he was doing. And they're like, we'll be there in two days. And they That's drove awesome. down, and I couldn't believe it. These, one of the, the men was Joe Dwyer, and he's the first person to discover that all lightning makes x-rays. Wow. And he was working at FIT and he built this elaborate lab where he triggered lightning, where he would launch a rocket into the air. In one second, it would get to the correct altitude. And within a second later, it'd be struck by lightning. And he had this Kevlar coated wire and the lightning trail would, would come down basically to earth. And he was able to measure with a Geiger counter radiation. Wow. 
And so he he was always kind of guessing, probably lightning made x-rays even without vacuums and tubes and all of that. But uh, it got to the point where computers had to be quick enough to be able to measure that many readings per second, where it was like a million readings a second, something like that. And he consistently measured all lightning made x-rays. And we were thinking all this time, like, you know, we there were, they could measure x-rays in the atmosphere and they're thinking it was all cosmic coming from outer space. No, it was all generated within our own atmosphere from lightning. Isn't that fascinating? Well, and it's like crazy that it was discovered or or conceptualized so long ago, but our actual technology and, and capacity to understand it needed like a hundred years. Took so long. Ab- right? Absolutely. And they, they came and they were looking at the glass negatives of Kinraids and I was showing them the work I was doing and they were, they were blown away. Fascinated, right? They're like, Jeff, like we we don't know what you're doing, <laughs> but we can tell you what this what's in this photo. And they're like, yeah, this is lightning that happens fifty thousand feet up. This is we've written, you know, paper after paper on this, but here you have actual photos of it. I mean, it's ridiculous. <laughs> That's incredible. And so, I ended up building a relationship with them. Awesome. And they would send students down every year just to see the stuff. And now I've kind of rekindled it all. Uh, thinking about all that you know it's there's still questions to be asked and I correct think that, that's the that's the cool thing that we don't know everything yet yeah and the minute we think we know everything we're wrong and i got more questions right yeah exactly exactly one thing that i think just from like my first take of this whole conversation is i would love for you to make some sort of like toy slash play kit for kids to Correct. to respark because when when I was a kid I remember like the light brights the etch a sketches the build your own computers yeah like, even connects and Legos it's like sparking the build and the create from like pieces where like now that's not a thing right like everyone just goes and plays like their Nintendo or whatever and mm-hmm. I think that could be like a really cool like long lasting impact for you is to spark the next generation Correct. with like a home kit for a kid. And like, good luck getting that one approved by Mattel and Target. <laughs> but just as like a like a yeah, I like open it, idea. It's crazy to think how much. Um, it's it's actually scary to think of how many like time honored teaching methods apparatus has been just phased out. Correct. I remember sticking and the little light bright bulbs exactly of colors into the the pattern like. Piece, right do you remember the light yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah so in the in the it was common until 20s 30s 40s 50s the 1896 style x-rays they would actually in a high school turn on an x-ray tube and let kids see their own skeleton through a fluoroscope and is it dangerous yeah is it going to kill you no i mean you, exactly. when you go to the dentist you get more x-rays so that experience, I mean, when you see for the first time a live Correct. x-ray, it's mind-blowing. And it doesn't matter what age you are. It's to just to be able to see and you realize you're looking in the middle of your hand with nothing more than a piece of cardboard with fluorescent paint on it and some funny-looking tube that's glowing yellow-green. That's and so cool. It's just a different lens, though, right? Like, our eyes can only see on the spectrum correct from a certain frequency or range right right and what the what the what the fluorescent paint does is it glows under x-rays so anything gotcha. you put on the other side you can suddenly see in in 
it's not quite grayscale because it's in shades of yellow, yeah. green, yeah, black, yeah. and white, but you're able to literally see inside of your own hand. And if you manipulate the tube, you can see, okay, the bones come out stronger. Sometimes you can see the softer tissues. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's, it's something that, I mean, it seems like science fiction until mm -hmm. you see it. And, ev you know, everyone's had x-rays and it's like, we can't relate them to anything. But the minute you actually see it, and it's like darkroom photography is the same way. Like, there's so many things that aren't taught anymore that are they offer a kind of magic for any kid. I was going to say he's not walking around with his hands in his pockets. So I, try, I <laughs> no, trust not, him. not yet. <laughs> trust him to a certain extent, right? <laughs> I think I have all the fingers still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so go ahead. I, I love this story, but let's talk a little bit too how you got involved with the Tesla family. Yeah, that was it was a surprise actually. I, I didn't know. Uh, I was invited to a conference in Baltimore and it was around 2002, 2003, I think. And I was doing a lecture that involved electrotherapy, involved the medical machines, but it also involved a lot of the early aspects of what Tesla was working on and showing from a very technical point of view how all of these things worked because there was still you know, the name Tesla, the problem, there's so many people... Uh, in kind of in fairyland, they, you know, they get a book that someone wrote that was just regurgitations of what someone else wrote. And it was happened dozens of times. And so whatever people believe in isn't really the real history at sure. the end of the day. So if I ever did a lecture, I would always try to bring a lot of things, a lot of real machines and do demonstrations. And I didn't know the Tesla Tesla's last relative was in the audience. And he, Tesla had a nephew that lived here, Nikola Turboyevic, and he had a son, um, William Turbo. He shortened the name after. But um, Bill Turbo was I in the audience. Americanized that one. They yes. Americanized, yeah. <laughs> that, was a, that was a definitely a thing. <laughs> to get, 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 get cool rid name, of, though, Turbo, I like that. Turbo, yeah. yeah. And uh, Tesla's uncle was inventor too, actually, or nephew, rather. He uh, he invented the hypoid gear, and he he's the reason that if you remember, like ever seeing like a Model A or Model T, they were, you had to like climb up into the car. Mm -hmm. He invented a gear that allowed cars to become lowered to the ground, and they're still used today in automobiles. And his son was in the audience with his wife, and I did this presentation for ninety minutes or whatever it was, and he ran up to me after and gave me his phone number, his business card. He said, "Let's keep in touch." And actually, we were close friends till the day he died. And it, unfortunately, it was the last blood relative of Tesla, wow. which is incredible to think about. Um, but yeah, him and I, we collaborated on a lot of things over the years. And it was uh, really, really an honor because, and it wasn't just me. There, There were a few people that were passionate enough to like, give their lives to what they were doing correct and it's not something that you do like every saturday i mean when, when it comes to like getting this history and saving history it's a 24-hour thing you never know when stuff's going to show up you never have the money no matter when it is so correct. it's like okay am i going to eat for the next three weeks or am i going to get this piece of history that can vanish and we'll never know the pieces of the puzzle All peanut right. butter sandwiches it is yeah exactly exactly <laughs> well and thank you for making that sacrifice because as you and i have spoken it's uh 
this information needs to get out there. This history needs to get out there. And for the sacrifice that you're making, greatly appreciate that. Oh, no, I appreciate it too. I mean, we realize in the end that if, and it was, it wasn't just me, it was me. It was a, a friend, Frank Jones. There was a, a man, Lee Anderson, uh, Bill Wysock, Jim Hardesty, these people that they had the wherewithal to when, to know that when they saw something that, there were pieces of a puzzle that needed to be solved. And at the time, you know, it, it, it could be many times the last of their kind, whatever it was, whether mm -hmm. it was a machine, a book, a piece of paper, even it's, there's times that you know that, okay, this is history. And just like history's gotten erased, deleted, burned this, that, and the other, there's history that just existed somewhere and got dispersed. And finding it is like a needle in the haystack. And when you see it, you have to get it because there's there's no there's no other way around it. There's no going back Correct. once it's gone. Correct. Oh, I, well, I'm curious, like how difficult is it to find like a, a shirt with electric lightning bolts all over it? Is that like a common thing where you just like go to a store and ironically it was a Christmas present. Is it? From my yeah, mom. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's it's actually it's amazing. Like I'm, I'm, I felt like I was I needed a cooler shirt for the day. <laughs> but I would love for you to kind of go piece by piece down the table here and explain um, what each one of these is called, what they do, or and we'll have a demo too. For of the, course, yeah, yeah. yeah we'll the, overlay some footage yeah. here too. So this machine, it's it's called a violet ray machine, and the doctor Frederick Strong, who was uh, uh, trying to cure the the blind patient. He had this idea that, well, if it's the currents that are doing the healing work, let's just invent tubes that, where you can apply this electricity to the body. So this, this is an example of a comb. You could comb your hair, get rid of headaches, that sort of thing. And the machines had some efficacy, I would say. And <laughs> It's like Coca-Cola with yeah, the secret yeah, ingredient. Yeah, not nearly as much as the manuals hinted to. Sure. Because, sure. I mean... They, they just got ridiculous. and it, But the thing is that they started off uh, legitimately. I mean, the doctor was saying, all right, well, physiologically, there's certain responses the body has. It dehydrates the skin. So it also it emits ozone. It's The electricity has certain effects on the skin of, of uh, drying effects. So they noticed for women, women had suffered from acne. All right, you could run this over your face and it would improve your complexion. Uh, in the case of uh, inflammation, if if there was enough current going through, because it heats from the inside out, you could apply it to somewhere where there's swelling and it would reduce the inflammation because it helps remove the moisture content inside. So there were, there were definitely authentic uses of it. How they were marketed was a completely different story. Sure. Because they, I mean, they would you know, if if you were overweight, they'd help you lose weight. If you were underweight, you could gain <laughs> it. If you had too much hair, they'd get rid of it. If you were bald, Quacks. they'd grow hair. I mean, it, there was no limit to what they were marketing it for. And and this has a Tesla coil in it, correct? It does. And the funny thing, no, even if, let's say, this machine had no medical value whatsoever, uh, I can demonstrate lighting a lamp with just one wire instead of two. I can show making something spin 
like basic motor effects with just one wire instead of two. I can make light lamps light without any wires using this type of device. So even if it was completely useless medically, there's scientific uses for it. There's true intriguing interests. I mean, they're still used today actually to test neon lamps, fluorescent lamps in the lighting industry. And after so much politics and, and problems over the years and being banned at various points of time, they're still used in the cosmetic industry and the aesthetics industry. And you know, women still pay for treatments to, to improve their mm -hmm. skin mm -hmm. quality with one of these machines. That's and they haven't changed electrically over the years. Is there like um in terms of like current AC versus DC, right? Mm -hmm. Is is that the same that's going on here, or is this a whole different ballpark? It's, it's a whole different thing. So there's AC and DC. This is high frequency, and it's kind of similar to if you took radio waves and uh, showed them as electricity. Yeah. And so normally with AC or DC, you, you can get shocked. So normally your nerves respond to frequencies less than 10,000 hertz. So like your heart, sure. all that, it works off of certain frequencies. And so with this machine, it's working at 500,000 hertz. So it's producing a spark like an inch and a half long. But if you apply it to your body, you don't feel a shock at all. Mm -hmm. You feel something. You feel heat. You feel warmth. You can feel like a prickling sensation. Yeah. But your your nervous system doesn't respond. Your heart doesn't suddenly Shut down. Take a beat. <laughs> yeah. So Your pacemaker will yeah, keep going. Okay, uh, sure. Well, that's debatable. Luckily, uh, right, <laughs> we're not going to test that one here today. Yeah. We didn't sign that uh, waiver before. Exactly. Yeah. No, no waivers for electronic implants. Never. Yeah, you walked in today. You're like, I hope your studio doesn't <laughs> yeah. implode. Yeah. And it didn't. We're good. No, it is good. Yeah. What else do we have over here, Jeff? So, one of the things. Um, I brought one of the lamps, a single wire Tesla lamp. Which is this. Yeah. Okay. And it's uh, just, and you know, Tesla was one of these inventors. He came up with ideas that were so far ahead of their time, they didn't exactly get adopted for any reason, and mainly because people were still in shock because of them. I mean, they were still getting used to the light bulb. In shock. And yeah. <laughs> and so suddenly the, you know, this idea, well, you can run a light bulb with two wires, you know, can run them with one wire okay what, what's the point of that but today to say you can run a white light bulb with one wire is you know gets people thinking a little bit like okay how's that work and so it's a rare example of a bulb made by it's not an original this is a replica made by the last glass blower in the world that makes these type of things wow and his name's uh lutz neumann in germany and it was hand carried from from germany to here and there were actually two people still living that have made these kind of lamps. Uh, one of them is in his 80s now, uh, Wolfgang Lynchman. And Wolfgang, he he actually worked for the Pressler firm, which was an early X-ray tube, Geyser tube manufacturing industry. I mean, they they made tubes as in the 1800s and into the early 1900s. And here's a man who was part of that actual company still making tubes today. Wow. He's he's not making much anymore because he's he's older and suffering arthritis and this sort of thing. It's probably not financially beneficial <laughs> either. It's, I, it's a sad thing is that uh, even Lutz, who's in his 50s, he's looked forever for an apprentice to take over like 
who's going to carry on this glass blowing tradition? And it was actually a town in Germany, Kursdorf, where they started making like Christmas ornaments out of glass for the wow. first time. Like it was an ancient glass blowing town, but nobody wants to carry on the tradition. That's sad. So when Lutz is gone, you know, there's That's where are you going to find this stuff? Yeah. You can't anymore. Not from someone that actually knows what they're doing, Correct. knows all of the techniques, knows all of the, the, the intricacies of, yeah. of, of making such a thing. So what do we have here? The other lamp is, that's actually called a, a radiometer. And it was a favorite, favorite invention of Tesla's. Um, Sir William Crookes invented it. And it's basically a fan that would spin in the sunlight. And you might have seen them. You hang them from a window and they spin around. So there was a modification of them where they were made electrically, where you could you could take a positive and negative across the terminals and spin the fan. Uh, Tesla found out you can still spin them with just one wire <laughs> if you have one of his coils. So we we have one here. We can show show what it does. <laughs> and it's not. Uh, I mean, it, you're, it's more the idea that okay, there's something electrical with one wire that can make mechanical motion in a vacuum. It's just the idea of all right, how do we get motion without the traditional ways of Correct. getting motion yeah, in, yeah. inside of something? Well, it questions things too, right? And gets yeah, you thinking. Yeah, it gets you thinking, how is this thing working? And, and in reality, it gets really complicated and gets back to the Kinraid stuff. When you have a high-frequency spark, there are typically positive ions feeling out in the air that are looking for a path for the spark. And even in a vacuum, uh, we're using a high-frequency AC current, but this thing is moving from DC, from the Tesla coil, because it's the sparks trying to find their other okay. side. They're trying to find their ground. And so you end up having the equivalent of two wires when you only have one. Interesting. Well, and I think that like people with the strong intuition that there's more to it than what we can sense and see, <clears throat> that everything is connected in a certain way, right? And that like there's no reason that the air can't be a tr uh, transmitter or a way to 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 get one piece of electricity, data, love, whatever you want to call it, to the next place. And I think that was the overall idea that that like the the wires were just the low tech version, correct? And that there's more to everything else in between. Well, strong. I have one of his uh, original scrapbooks of just newspaper clippings, things he was theorizing and, and one was you know we can communicate wirelessly back then with telegraphy but why can't we just do it with our minds and Bingo. at what point and even does it does it stop at that like like he had even had articles on communicating with the dead through this kind of technology and a lot of people are going to say no it's not real but at the same time the sky was the limit back then correct so the fact that they were even opening up to this sort of thing crooks was involved in spiritualism and he was criticized at the time but uh you know here's someone that laid the the forefront of all the technologies to make x-rays and vacuum tubes and things that became major innovations of the early 1900s and he was open to the fact that all right maybe there's something we don't know correct and i i still agree with all of that information i think there's a lot that we don't know for sure and I, I wonder even, you know, how do, how do I end up with all this history? Right. You know, why me? Exactly. And at the same time, I was like, all right, well, maybe there's something there. There definitely is. And 
I keep think, digging, you know? Oh, totally. for sure. For sure. I mean, totally. why, why stop at this point? But guys, I'm, I'm getting an eye from the producer that uh, we have one minute and 22 yeah. seconds. Perfect. Let's, to wrap this one up. So let's finish with the, uh, the Mercury. The Mercury. All right. That's a, a bulb that will light wirelessly with a Tesla coil but it was actually developed in the early 1700s by a man, Francis Hawksby, a name you, you don't hear. You hear Edison, you hear Tesla. Here's a guy that invented the first electrical machine and the first machines that produce artificial light. And he found out if you put mercury in a vacuum, you don't even need electricity to light it. You can just shake it in the dark and it lights up. <laughs> and awesome. who would have thought 200, more than 200 years ago? Well, and like, who's the first person to think that up? You know, like that's even the crazier thing. Correct. And he was off on his own. I mean, how, how, you know, where did he even get these ideas from at that time period? I love it. Higher power, baby. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Now, I do have one final question for you. Craziest, scariest, most electrifying moment for you? Ah. Uh, what experience? A, that's, a, that's a difficult one. Yeah. I mean, I would say, uh, Probably an electrical accident, <laughs> of all things. Uh, I'm glad they're just not happening here right correct. now. No, I was in my early 20s. I was working on a 150,000-volt transformer. At the same time, I was working on a 3,000-volt transformer. And one of them was gigantic, and the other one was the size of, like, your wallet. Uh -huh. And I was working on the one the size of a wallet, and it was switched off at the switch but i was grabbing both wires and the switch failed mechanically and turned itself on as i was holding both wires and i got the daylights shocked out of me to the point where <laughs> i i survived the shock but something like that you could drop dead like 10 minutes later because sure. your heart goes out of rhythm and it Guys, it, i don't want to cut it off man. it gave we, me an appreciation we are out of time yeah that's okay on the physical hard drive space <laughs> until they until they create more hard drive space we got to bring you back for another episode i okay. knew there'd be a part two no that's, <laughs> that's literally perfect thank you for listening to this week's episode of the palm beach podcast if you'd like to give back and help our show grow please learn about ways to give and donate at the palm beach podcast.com <laughs>